Welcome to Board Gamers Anonymous, episode 112, March Gamer Madness. We'd like to thank all our friends on Facebook for giving us a big like and joining us for our March Gamer Madness 2016. You're listening to a proud member of the Dice Tower Network, dedicated to bringing podcasters together for the greater good of gaming. It's sort of like Voltron, but with better lip syncing. Find out more at Dicetowernetwork.com. Welcome to Board Gamers Anonymous, the podcast about board gamers and the insane fun we have at the table together. This is Chris. And this is Anthony. Hey everyone, welcome back. We got an outstanding episode for you this week. We are talking about March Gamer Madness 2016. So this is where we take a look back at all of the best games of 2016. We mash them up, we fight them out, we do a big versus kind of match. Think about March Madness, you know, but legally distinct, right Anthony? That's legally distinct. We're safe, right? We checked with the lawyers? March dot 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 gamer dot 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 madness okay lawyer said we're okay we're good all right (laughs) (laughs) so we're good about having a great contest on there and we'll talk about that a little bit more later but before we get into all of that kind of fun stuff anthony's got an update for us about all of our fun podcasts and everything about bga yeah guys if you are not already uh there's a whole bunch of other stuff you can do listen to read etc on the board gamers anonymous website ecosystem Whatever, whatever we end up calling it. Blogopod. Whatever. <laughs> I'm going to make up a word. So we have Table for One podcast publishes every week. Jason and I, uh, we've actually been interviewing a lot of different people. So probably the, the big one you might have seen was we had an interview with Ignacy Trevichek a few weeks ago about First Martians, which is coming very soon. So we talked a lot about that game. And then we talked about kind of the solo elements. We've also interviewed Chris Seslick, who designed One Deck Dungeon, which is really, really popular with solo gamers right now. And vaguely uh, aware <laughs> for everybody else. And we have a, actually an episode coming up this week, as this one comes out, with Isaac Childress, the designer of Gloomhaven, which is probably one of the hot, hot games right now. Anywhere, assuming you can find it, slash see it, slash pick it up. <laughs> it's very heavy. So lots of fun stuff. It is a game, it is a podcast about solo gaming and solo gamers, but we do talk with a lot of different people about all sorts of stuff. It kind of blends in. So check it out. Got our regular newsletter. Goes out two to four weeks and uh, <laughs> in the past have been the mistake of saying it's weekly it doesn't always go out every week uh, it depends on when we have new stuff to share with you but it does always go out at the end of the month because we have a contest if you're on the list you are signed up for a chance to win a gift certificate uh, to your choice of amazon or cool stuff so woo-hoo! definitely get on the list <laughs> exactly woohoo sign up because if you're on the list you could win money you don't have to do anything else just can sign I, up. can i use that money on games it's pretty much acquired, yeah. All right, nice, yeah. nice. I like that. <laughs> you know, unless you need toilet paper or something, I'll give you an Amazon gift card. It's fine. Okay. <laughs> so definitely check those out. I have a couple new reviews up on uh, YouTube as well, uh, trying to get some more video content up there. And a call to you, the listeners, if there is a game we're talking about that you'd like to see a video for, let me know. Uh, it's not possible to do one for everything, but trying to get a sense of what people want to see out of all the stuff we talk about. So shoot me a message on any of the many places that we hang out, Facebook, Twitter, BoardGameGeek, and mention that you would like to see all the things that we're talking about. And I will do our best to put together a video for that. And that's that's all our stuff. So check out all that stuff at some point. If you are jonesing for some more board game content and are interested in solo games or 
reviews of some of those other games or any of the articles we have on the website. Check out that stuff. Hmm, that is a lot of stuff. It is a lot of stuff. You should read it slash watch it, Seth Lushton. <laughs> I'm still trying to figure out how you get all of those people around the table of one. That seems to be a thing that's continuing to grow larger and larger. Well, some of us are standing. It's okay. okay. We, we rotate the chair, and then sometimes people bring their own chairs, so it's kind of like a lawn situation. You know, okay. <laughs> tailgate party. It's Is fun. there any shouting from the tabletop? Because that's already been covered by us. Just letting you know. You know, uh, yeah, not so much shouting, uh-huh, uh, uh-huh, okay. some soft whispering. It is, it is a solo podcast. Okay. Library with voices with other people, with other people, with and lots desi- of other people and designers. Yep. And publishers and publishers, all the people. That's a lot of people. All right. So make sure to check out all of that stuff with BGA and especially Anthony's table for one podcast that fits a table of 20 these days. One to three. <laughs> <laughs> One to three players. One to three, right? Yeah, we'll put it in parentheses. Table for one, two, three. <laughs> and now, our acquisition disorders. Acquisition disorders? That's crazy. Only needs the base game. Nothing else but the base game. The base game and the expansion. See? Nothing else. Just the base game and the expansion and the promos. The base game and the expansion and the promos. And, of course, the upgraded components. Why wouldn't you have the upgraded components? So the base game, the expansion, the promos, and the upgraded components. All right. So we've been talking board games. And, obviously, there's always something new on our radar. So let us give you a hint on what you should be picking up, what you should be looking at, and hopefully what's been hitting your table soon to come. Anthony. What do you got for us? Okay, so I guess after our big 2017 acquisition disorder mega list that we did in January, uh, we took a little bit of, it was a big list, a lot of games, uh, took a little extra break as we put this bracket together, and now there's a whole bunch more games, but I'm going to focus on just one, and it's not even a full game, it's just an expansion. <laughs> uh, <laughs> trying to trying to wean myself down a little bit. i uh, got to make it till convention time. But this one is, it's, the first separate expansion for my favorite game of 2016 and the game I played the most in 2016, Terraforming Mars. This is the first full expansion. There is like a little pack-in expansion that everybody just kind of mixes in immediately, but this is the first full expansion separate from the game, Hellas and Elysium. It is a, well, it's really just a new board. So it's a new double-sided board that gives you a couple new places to play on Mars. We've got Elysium which is on the opposite side of the planet. So lots of lowlands for oceans and uh, lots of minerals in the south. So lots of interesting things different on the board there, including Olympus Moans. So you get three free cards if you place on that, which is pretty cool. The other one, Hellas, is the Southern Wild. So this is the south pole of Mars. Mm -hmm. So you have the giant seven-hex Hellas crater, if you are at all familiar with Mars topography, which I'm not really uh, beyond the movies and games I play, but, you know, it's fun. So you can build that giant lake there in the middle. You can build around the pole and give new pla- placement bonuses in the form of heat and possibly even some water, which is a unique new change. Uh, each of these has new milestones, new awards, depending on the map. So not a lot of new cards uh, they're still going to be using most of the same cards and everything, but lots of different ways to place the tiles and it changes the map and everything, which I'm always a fan of. It's not quite as exciting as like a full big box of stuff, mm-hmm. but it's a new way to play the game pretty soon, you know, less than a year after the game came out. So I'm excited for it. Sure. And I think that helps a lot, too, because I know playing the game itself, there seems to be coming a certain script about where to place the initial cities that there are pretty much one or two, maybe like... 
there's a best spot which is on the left mid side, and then I would say the mid right there's a decent spot, and then maybe on the bottom, but you really don't get a lot of bonuses. And I think I'm seeing that happen more and more. So the game is really definitely in the need of a new board or boards for this. Yeah, yeah. The placement bonuses especially make it so there is a no-brainer spot to put that first city. And yes. if the if somebody gets the corporation that gives you the first action is to place a city, yes. then nobody even gets that option. That person just gets that spot. We have noticed that it's not game-breaking or, or frustrating, but it'll be nice to have new options. So yeah. looking forward to this one. Definitely. Oh, that sounds good. All right, well... Uh, my acquisition to sword this week i'm going to talk about kickstarter because probably as you know there's a lot of kickstarter activity going on now it's the season of kickstarter and kicking it back old school as far as kicking the habits concerned i want to talk about champions of midgard the expansions now we've talked about champions of midgard previously and i've been getting a chance to get this to the table because i want to know if i actually want to pick up these expansions now what we're looking at basically here is I guess akin to what Lords of Waterdeep did as far as two separate expansions that can kind of be played together as far as the components are concerned. So what Champions of Midgard is going to do for the retail market is actually have these packaged separately. But with this Kickstarter, you can actually, in fact, get that all in one box, which is actually pretty nice. I was actually going through the original base box to see... Well, if I did pick up the separate boxes later on at retail, could I actually fit in the base box? And I actually don't think I could because if you're following this Kickstarter right now and at the time of this release, this Kickstarter should be wrapping up very soon. So if you're interested in this, you should definitely take a look at it. It's going to have a lot more dice. It's going to have a lot more sideboards and a a number, number, large number of additional cards. So you are almost definitely going to need the expansion box. I know many people like myself hate to get rid of expansion boxes, but eventually have to just as far as space is concerned, whether it's traveling or on your shelf. So I think this is going to be one that you're going to end up keeping just because of the number of components and especially the number of stretch goals that this campaigns end up going to see. Now, if you haven't played Champions of Midgard, it's a pretty straightforward game. You're basically battling monsters as Vikings So you go up to a monster, you place your meeple down there to hold that area down, and then you roll your dice that you've accumulated throughout the game, and hopefully you've done enough hits compared to their defense, and if you don't, they're going to hit you. So it goes a little bit back and forth, and then obviously whoever wins that very quick battle gets the victory points, and there's some bonuses that come along with the game. It's a pretty fun game. It adds a little randomness and a little press-your-luck along with kind of a worker placement, Lords of Waterdeep kind of thing. But it's light. It's it's on kind of on the lighter side. I've enjoyed the game a lot. And uh, right now I'm just trying to decide on if I do, which I think I will, back this expansion, if I'm going to back any of the extras that come along with this, which tends to be a lot of wood-based pieces, additional meeples, additional wood tokens that come along with the game. The expansion itself or the expansions themselves, come with a lot of additional cards thanks to all the goals that have been unlocked. But otherwise, it's pretty much the same. I think the only thing that in particular that might attract new people to this game or open it up a little bit is the option to play with a fifth player. Uh, Because, you know, just a four-player version of this game is kind of hard to get to the table sometimes since it's not a heavy Euro. So a fifth player would be nice. Anthony, you played this game, right? Yeah, you actually have it. It's uh, it's a lot of fun. I, ha- I do have this problem, though. 
where it is tough to get to the table. There's so many games that play four. And then I think games like this, you know, like Waterdeep, for example, people expect to play more people. So they're like, oh, if we're going to take up the big table with this giant board, we should be able to fit five or six people around it. And if that's sure. not the case, maybe we'll play this Euro instead. So this one's hard to get out sometimes. Yeah. Uh, it's one of the reasons I'm excited about the extra stuff. And I don't know. I like it a lot. I like it more than Waterdeep in a lot of different ways. I just have trouble getting it out there. So I'm hoping this helps with that. Yeah, I've heard that a lot. The comparisons are all over the place. I don't necessarily see them matching up so much because of the dice rolling and the press your luck element. This is really, I would say, if I had to put this in a in you know a specific box, this would be my favorite press your luck game. Just because hmm. the dice rolling, there is some sort of like economy of symbols where you think you're going to win, but you're still pressing your luck. And I think actually the most recent time I played this game, I rolled six blanks. Which just totally <laughs> threw me. It would, they were all white sword dices, but I was just like, really? <laughs> Six? <sighs> yeah, that's that's rough. I mean, yeah. I didn't think about it like that, but it really is. That's a good point. It is more of a uh, press your luck. And that might be why I'm having trouble getting people to play it. They're like, sure. this is not like Waterdeep. I want to play that. Yeah, it's a little it's a little straightforward when you play Waterdeep. But uh, this is definitely a good press your luck game. Actually, a friend of ours, Jay, was looking for a good press your luck game. I'm like, hey, you know what? It doesn't kind of typically been thought of or classified as such, but I think this is kind of maybe a Euro game with a press your luck element to it. So uh, that is Champions of Midgard, the expansions. Obviously, the expansions are going to have their own names, which is the Dark Mountains and Valhalla. But nonetheless, it's if you're looking it up on Kickstarter, check it out. This will be wrapping up very soon. Okay, so that's all of our acquisition disorders this week. We've survived, <laughs> and I'm sure next episode we'll have a bunch more for you. And now, At the Table with BGA. All right, so we're back with At the Table with BGA, and we're talking about the games that have been hitting our table this week. Now, there's been a number of games, and we're going to highlight two games for you and let you know if the game is a buy and it's really meet or exceeded our expectations, and you should definitely pick that game up. Or maybe the game's a play. It's something that if you do see it at the table, you definitely want to jump in and get a chance to try that game out. Or if the game's a dodge, it's okay, but probably not worth your time or your effort there. Or possibly the game is worth a burn. And the game absolutely positively is not worth your time and or money. Or more recently, as we talked on Facebook a little bit, which is maybe the game's not a burn, but maybe the game is more fun just to punch than to play. So (laughs) that might become the new burn, you know, punch, not play. I think that might be something we want to talk about in the future because worst case scenario, games are always good to punch. So I enjoy that. All right. I'm going to give the rating first because I think it fits. It's a buy, then punch, then play. Okay. <laughs> it's a buy, punch, play sandwich. I'm talking about Gloomhaven. This is, well, you all know what Gloomhaven is. It's been all over the place for like the last month or so, averaging 100,000 plus views on its game page. People crying to the heavens that all their pre-orders got canceled. So I apologize in advance to everybody out there who's listening. And I know there's a lot of you. So again, sorry, who had this pre-order, thought they were going to get it and didn't. It is an unfortunate situation where way more people wanted this than I think the designer slash publisher realized, and so there weren't enough copies yet. They're coming into the year. I was lucky enough to back this, so I, I did back it on Kickstarter. 
way, way back when. It was one of Daniel's acquisition disorders while he was talking about it. I was like, that sounds pretty good. And I went and backed it. Uh, (laughs) So this podcast works, guys. So Uh, just another example of Daniel volunteering you for more things, right? Oh, my God. He did do that. He did. (laughs) Daniel! There was some total inception going on there. Uh, Daniel, oh, well, actually, thank you, because this is, it was, I'm glad I picked it up. Um, I don't think I would have backed it otherwise. I had looked at it and kind of walked past it a couple times. So what is Gloomhaven? If you have not been reading up on it, watching videos, etc., it is a, well, it's a dungeon crawl uh, at its most basic. Uh, but there's a lot of things different about it than what you might consider a typical dungeon crawl. Typical dungeon crawl, you have several characters, you have maybe special abilities and some equipment that you pick up. You roll, you move, you roll, you move, you fight, you fight, you roll, you move. It's stupid, dumb fun. Some of them have a little more complicated stuff to them. Some of them have a little less complicated stuff to them. Sometimes you fight each other. Sometimes you only fight monsters. Sometimes you fight a boss. It kind of all fits into that same general category. It's D&D on a board. Gloomhaven is different in that it's actually D&D on a board (laughs) like people say that a lot but it doesn't actually work out that way so what you have with Gloomhaven is this big big world uh there are 100 I think 100 or so scenarios in in the adventure book which is kind of a choose your own adventure style book where you're not necessarily going to do them in order you're going to do them based on the actions you took in previous sessions people have called it legacy I think the designer called it legacy it's not really a true legacy game in the sense of like a Rob Davio legacy game. It's more like every de- decision you make will influence future things you do. More like how an RPG is. Like you make a certain action, it impacts what the NPCs do, and then you level up in a certain area. You got XP in a certain area. Um, so you get XP every every time you play. You use that to upgrade your 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 decks that make your attacks more efficient. You get new cards that allow you to do new things. Um, Lots of cool stuff that way. You get money that you can then go to buy items that you can use in future fights. Uh, Very persistent. It all builds on a campaign over time. Um, There are stickers. The stickers go on, you know, I'm not going to spoil anything here, but you don't have to use them. Uh, There are other ways to keep track if you want to, and you don't need to rip anything up. There's nothing in here that needs to be ripped up. There are some envelopes with some hidden information in them that you can unlock based on what you do in the campaign. I have not unlocked any of those yet. I wouldn't spoil it if I had, but they are there. There are a few of them, and they allow you to do cool stuff. And But otherwise, you know, it's you have a modular board. You set that up based on the scenario. You have various enemies. There's, I don't know, some ridiculous number of standee enemies in the box. And then you take your adventurers, each of which have their own abilities and their own deck and everything else um, that come in a nice little envelope, and you go on that adventure. And mechanically... First off, there are no dice, so you know it's not like a regular um, dungeon crawl. And second off, uh, the way you pick your actions is very unique. So you're always going to have this hand of cards that's persistent. You choose two of them, and you'll play the top action from one and the bottom action from the other. There's a number on every card that is initiative. Uh, Everybody's going to choose their cards in secret, put them down. Whoever has the lowest number has initiative. You go in that order. Uh, based on the two cards you play. There's also decks for each of the enemies that are on the board. They have initiative, and that's how you decide the turn order every round. When you play your abilities, you get to choose which is top and which is bottom. There's move on top or bottom. There's fighting. There's healing. There's all sorts of stuff. There's picking up loot, whatever it is. On these cards, 
the really powerful abilities will actually have you remove the card from the scenario so it doesn't cycle back into your deck. Some others you just discard. Others allow you to get cards back. It's a very, very cool, unique way to kind of control your character. Um, it makes it much more strategic. You have to think about when to use certain abilities, when not to use them. Uh, I talked about this on Table for One as a solo game. And because of the way the solo game works, you have to play at least two characters. And you have perfect information, so you have both deck hands of cards in front of you. It is a huge puzzle that you're trying to solve. You know, I need to get from point A to point B. I need to take out these two enemies. I need to open this chest. I need to get through this door. I need to get over here and unlock this and do this. And I have this many cards. And if I use this ability, this card is gone for good. I have this much health left. I'm trying to meet this particular criteria for this particular quest. So many things to keep track of that I, I just love it. It's so cool. Playing with other people. You kind of have the same thing, except you're working together and you need to support each other because there's more enemies on the board. L little less puzzle, a little more problem solving as a group, which is totally cool and very fun as well, especially as you level up together. Um, but it is a little bit different based on the player count that you have. It's it's just really cool. I mean, I have not gotten nearly that deep into this game. I've played you know a few scenarios solo, uh, gotten a campaign going, but haven't gotten very far yet. There's so much more in the box I haven't even looked at beyond the five or six characters that you kind of start with to choose from. There are another 13 that you unlock as you go on. So I haven't even opened those boxes yet. I don't know what they are. <laughs> um, I've avoided spoilers too. So I'm kind of excited to unlock those and open them up. But everything you've heard about this from what I've seen so far is true. <laughs> this is probably the best dungeon crawl I've ever played. I'm not a huge dungeon crawl fan in general. I usually get pretty bored in them because you're not making that many decisions. There aren't a lot of puzzles. It's not very strategic. As a Euro gamer, this is what I would want a dungeon crawl to be. There are interesting decisions to be made. It's not just throwing dice around, making jokes. So if you get the chance, and again, that's, you know, when that whenever that happens, track a copy of this down. It's well worth it. Everything that came in the Kickstarter version is in the retail version. And it's still a great price, even though, you know, it's it's pretty high. <laughs> it's pretty expensive. Um, but you get a lot of stuff in that box. Yeah, I wonder what the retail situation is going to be like when the game is finally in, like, mass production, if it actually ever gets there. Are we going to see discounts on this game? Or is it just going to be one of those things where it's like, it's just Caverna and it just sticks up at that high level and just never really comes down? I don't know. It's hard to tell because... I mean, I think for what you're getting in the box, volume-wise, it's probably slightly underpriced against... Like, if Fantasy Flight made a box this big full of this much stuff, it would be... First off, they wouldn't they wouldn't do that. It'd break it out into three expansions, so it would cost $250. Sure. Um, but second off, it, it would cost more. Yeah, there'd just be a lot more to it. And I'm not saying that you know, this is underpriced or overpriced or anything like that. I don't know what his margins look like. I know what I paid for it. If you backed it on the Kickstarter, you got a great deal because <laughs> he kept adding stuff to it. Yeah. But yeah, I think cool stuff maybe knocked 10 bucks off of it, mm. which might be as much as you ever see because the margin might just not be that big here. Yeah. So like very similar to Caverna for a long, long time where the game just came with so much stuff that they were like, yeah, we'll give you a nickel off here and there, but never yeah. really much more. <laughs> yeah. Someone brought this to game night and just left it in the middle of the room. <laughs> and I just think, you know, like you drop a mic and just like, yeah. I'm just going to leave this here. <laughs> so I was like, oh, that's Gloomhaven. And, and I got to lift it up and do a couple of reps with it and, you know, some squats and stuff like that. And I was feeling, you know, I was feeling the burn a little bit. And we opened it up and it was just, it's just massive. It's just massive. And 
how the boxes are contained and all the different secrets that'll come out in later rounds and all the different characters that you can be able to use. It's just a it's an extraordinary unimaginable accomplishment that he's been able to produce and I hope that once everyone gets to be able to play through the full game I'm I'm hoping that the feedback is just as bright and as wonderful because this would be a maybe not a legacy game in the way as as you're saying like a Davliel game but a game that you would just really want to spend a good chunk of your life kind of playing through so a legacy in that respect I guess yeah no it's totally it's I feel like the experience here is similar to playing a multi-week RPG campaign with a bunch of friends like you're going through an adventure together. The decisions you make influence where you go, even though it's within this kind of structure. Sure. And, or even just like a video game where you're unlocking new characters and finding new things, and you get to choose which areas of the world you go to. It's just, it's so unique. And I think that's part of it is a lot of people didn't back it because they looked at it and they said, I don't think he can pull it off. And he did, which um, I'm excited to talk to him, actually. We're interviewing him next week for Table for One. I just want to ask him, like, how did you pull this off? Like, what... How much sleep did you get? Because I know how many, you know his updates were very frequent about how much work went into this and how much sure. headache it gave him. I just I can't even imagine balancing this with that many cards and that many branches. And anyways, if you're interested in that too, make sure you check out that interview because we're gonna kind of run through some of that. Yeah, I think the challenge for a lot of people, I know myself included, was when are when are you gonna get this played or who are you gonna get played with? Mm, yeah, and trying to find a consistent group because most game groups are random people or at least somewhat random core people tend to show up but if you want to get this played you almost have to get something signed in blood that you know they're going to be there each and every week or whatever time that you specify and i think that seems to be the way board gaming is going now obviously with all the legacy games coming out obviously with gloomhaven and the charterstone to follow up soon after we're seeing more and more of these kind of really long intense campaign games that typically were kind of brushed off to the side or kept at home and now you're actually seeing them at the meetups so uh the, the hobby's changing yeah yeah i mean i've i've had this for a little over a month and i'm just now getting a group together for a, an ongoing campaign so it took some time um i have the benefit of playing a lot of stuff by myself so <laughs> i've been able to do that but yeah it's tough i don't i think a lot of people are going to end up owning this and not playing it sure much if at all um but if you can play it if somebody you know owns it and they ask you to join, don't don't say no. <laughs> Give it a shot. Well, it's good to hear. It's a solid buy. Nice. I'm looking forward to uh, maybe we'll we'll check in with you in a couple of months and see uh, how it all winds up. Yeah, definitely. I'm hoping to at least get through a good chunk of a campaign in the next few weeks. Sure. Excellent. All right. Well, a game that I want to talk about is isn't as epic as Gloomhaven, but is epic in at least theme, and that is the oracle of delphi now this is the stefan feld game that's kind of gone underneath the radar as far as there wasn't a big kind of like promotional push for it and it didn't land as a heavy euro uh it's really nothing like you know anything else that he's done previously basically what you're looking at here is by the grace of the olympian gods you are tasked with 12 challenges that you need to complete in order to win the game so it's not a victory point game it's who can knock off these 12 challenges the fastest win so it's a race it's a race game so on your turn you'll roll your three dice and depending on the symbol on the dice you'll place them on the board by the oracle these are the oracle of delphi dice get it see what i did there and or see what fell did there 
And basically, those are the uh, actions that you'll be able to do. And basically, by actions, I'm talking about spaces that you can move on the board or where you can swap things and out. You can pick things up, drop things off, which monsters you can fight and such. And basically, the game comes down to you know, maximizing or most efficiently using your dice to get everywhere you need to go based upon your starting location. So everyone starts in the, the, the center. One person, you know, travels out, whoever the first player tends to be. And then the other two people have to decide which way they're going to go after that because the other person's a little bit in the lead. And typically that's in a situation where you're going to get kind of stuck. But, you know, once in a while the dice do not roll your way and you just can't max that color out. So if you're moving three, for example, and you're starting at yellow and you want to get to blue, but, you know, blue is nowhere to be found around your area, you're kind of stuck. Now, there are tokens that can actually give you rerolls. There's tokens that can move your dice around. There are special abilities that start with the that start with certain players at the start of the game. So there is ways to kind of mix the game up a little bit and give you some asymmetrical powers. And obviously, as you complete these different tasks throughout the game, you will gain additional abilities that you can choose from that adds to your special abilities. And finally, there are the gods. And as you have opportunities to raise the gods up to the heavens, they will uh, bestow upon you a special ability that will come in very, very big. Uh, I think probably one of the biggest ones is just teleporting around the map. That really <laughs> saves you a lot of time or effort or actually being able to defeat the monsters. That's a that's a great ability there. So if you like Feld, and I do, I love Feld, and you like this kind of race dice mechanic, which was new to me a little bit, but I did very much enjoy it. And the board itself is modular, so it, it can be different every time. It does take a little bit of a setup. This game is a buy. I could definitely see owning this game with maybe a slight discount there, just because it's probably not the game that most people are going to think about when they think about Feld, but it is a definite, solid game and worthy of a buy. But um, let me ask you, Anthony, you, you've actually had a chance to play this, right? Yeah. Yeah, I love it. Okay. So good. Yeah, and it's um, <laughs> that's it. Period. Done. Drop Done. the mic. No. Um. Uh. Yeah. I. I didn't at first. Like the first ten or fifteen minutes, I was like, "What is this?" Because I'm not a big pick up and deliver guy. But it just it has certain feels to a, of a feld to it. You can you can feel it in there based on you know a you've got dice doing like twelve different things with lots of mitigation for for how they work. Um, sure. it's very feldian, but at the same time, it's a very tightly designed in the actual actions, maybe not the scoring part of it, where you have like all these different things you need to complete. I mean, not scoring, I guess, goal goal completion, because <laughs> there's no actual points here. But I really, really liked the tension of that. The game is really quick. Both times I played it, it might have been around an hour or so. Sure. It wraps really quickly. You get to f- the feel of what you're doing kind of flows very quickly. Although the one thing I'd say, and I've seen this in people who don't like the game, is if you make a handful of inefficient moves you can kind of tell already you're like oh man <laughs> like i just i just messed up majorly sure. i'm not going to win this game and anytime you can tell you're not going to win a game halfway through it that kind of stinks but once you know the game and if everybody knows the game or if you're helping out people who are new uh it is a very tense kind of race and i don't think i don't think it's against the game it's just the kind of game it is but it does happen it does but it's that kind of game if you like feld you're going to like this game if you don't mm-hmm. like feld or if you don't like crunchy euros i would still say give this a chance just because the race element is such a different type of uh game element you don't usually don't see in a lot of games 
All right, so that's everything for At the Table. And now, BGA's feature review. Okay, here it is. Board Gamers Anonymous, March Gamer Madness. So we're talking about the best for 2016. All right, so we have our 2016 games. Um, As Chris said, we were breaking these up by category. We have four different categories, same as last year, and we've broken them down by theme uh, into those different groups. So similar to your other quote-unquote non-affiliated brackets, um, they're broken down by regions. (laughs) But what we did this year is a little bit different. What we're, instead of using the dreaded die, (laughs) which you've used in the past to break ties because for whatever reason we always end up with an even number of people doing this we reached out to everybody on facebook and we asked them to fill out their own brackets and tell us who they think would win for each of these matchups so two two parts of this first off that's going to help us break ties in terms of like who voted for which games second off we are holding or we held a contest. If you're listening to this now, the contest has probably ended since we've now started the bracket and all the more reason to hop on and join us for our uh, our newsletter as well as our Facebook page because you can get first crack at these contests when we run them. Uh, but how it works is or how, how it's going to work for people who did enter the contest is they um, filled out their own bracket and we're going to compare it to our own. Now, due to a, a tiny technical snafu, um, after the first round, there are a couple matchups that aren't exactly the same as they were in that original bracket. So we're going to fill out, for everybody listening who did fill that out, uh, we're going to have that bracket posted to Facebook so you'll be able to compare and we'll have a winner based on who got closest. But we're also going to be able to use what people voted for at each of those stages to help inform us as we move forward. If we have a, a a certain matchup where Chris and I don't agree and we need a tiebreaker, we will turn to the listeners. And so that's what we're going to do throughout all of this. Um, We're going to be talking about each of these matchups, all seated one to 16 in each region. And we're going to be talking about how each of those games best um, conveys its theme and succeeds as a game in what it's trying to do. So these aren't necessarily the very, very best games of 2016, but they're the games that did what they were trying to do the best. If you listen back to last year, um, we had some interesting games make it to the end of that based on that criteria. So I think you'll, it, it's always a lot of fun and I'm definitely looking forward to, to seeing what we can pull together from uh, last year's games. All right. Well, that sounds good. Especially since we always agree, Anthony, always, always, always agree. <laughs> okay. So first up is our fantasy theme. So we're talking about all the fantastical games that we've gotten a chance to play. So, first up, we are talking our first matchup, our number one seed, Mansions of Madness 2nd Edition, versus our number 16 seed, Hero Realms. So, Anthony, obviously, you are a big fan of Hero Realms and Mansions of Madness 2nd Edition. What are you thinking about this? I think this is a juggernaut squishing a tiny little bug that wandered its way into the bracket. Um, Hero Realms is a great game, <laughs> okay, but... First off, it's a re-implementation of Star Realms um, in a fantasy world, which is great, and I love that that exists. And there's a bunch of new stuff. There's character packs. There's other cool things to do. In the long run, probably more people will end up owning that and playing it, I think, than Mansions of Madness because of size. But Mansions of Madness uh, is such a great thing (laughs) that they managed to put together. It perfectly embodies a theme through the app. It has the ambiance. I'm not even a Cthulhu guy. In fact, I'm an anti-Cthulhu guy, or at least I was before last year. And I really like this. You just, you're pulled into it thematically in ways that even other kind of big dudes on a map, wandering mystery type games 
haven't pulled off before. So that's that's my vote. Well, Anthony, clearly Cthulhu has wrecked your brain because you're missing out on the, the beauty and the dream that is Hero Realms. So, yes, maybe it is a re-implementation of Star Realms, which is an amazing game. And maybe Mansions of Madness 2nd Edition is uh, also, you know, a little bit of a re-implementation of its former glory. But I just can't imagine Mansions of Madness standing up in this competition just because is this game ever really going to get to the table with all the electronics that are needed there? I mean, I got to be a purist here and I got to vote for Hero Realms. But they're make they're going to make an app for that too. Yeah, they make apps for everything. Still, yeah, they just apps for everything eventually. So, all right. <laughs> so right off the bat, you know, I'm going with Heroes. You're going with Ultimate Evil. I'm not saying, but you know, we see where the, the battle lines are drawn. So, what did the listeners actually say? Because right off the bat, we need a tiebreaker. They said squish the bug, Aww. ultimate evil, yeah. <laughs> mansions of madness all the way. Uh, yeah, so the listeners definitely picked this one in the first round um, over Hero Realms. Not a huge surprise. That's a one over 16 seed. And Hero Realms kind of came out towards the end of the year there. But mansions of madness moving on to round two. Well, you people are insane and you, you're insane by choice. <laughs> <laughs> Self-inflicted. Self-inflicted insanity. <laughs> All right, so for our next matchup, we have our number two seed, Arkham Horror the Card Game, versus our number 15 seed, our number 15 seed, Natalium. So, Anthony, why don't you take us again with this one here, since you've already had the Elder Gods on your side, so you might as well go first because, you know. Yeah, this was this was accidental, guys. So all the Table for One listeners, I'm sorry, got two big uh, solo games up against each other in round one. Um, there's a couple more coming later. We'll, we'll get to them. Natillion's a great one. It's a Shadi Torbay game, and it only plays one or two, so not a lot of people are going to see this. I think it's already sold out. It's hard to find. It's super niche. I like it, though. <laughs> so <laughs> I'm glad it's on the list, but it's got to be Arkham Horror, the card game. It's uh, a perfection of some of the elements of Lord of the Rings card game from a technical standpoint, and really the first lcg to do solo properly and it's i don't know it's a lot of fun like from a narrative standpoint it's just a lot of fun to play through so yeah and you can even play this with more than a solo game arkham horror correct yeah yeah i mean it plays two out of the box and you can play up to four with a couple sets yeah and i think you know when it comes to these lcgs fantasy flight just does it perfectly they really have nailed down the system in arkham horror the card game whether or not you're a cthulhu guy you can't you know, fight the evil, overwhelming insanity of this game because it just plays brilliantly. And uh, that would be my vote as well. So how about the uh, listeners? Where, where would they go on that, Anthony? Oh, they totally agree with us. Okay. <laughs> All right. Yeah, it's about Arkham Horror card game on round two. Sounds Cthulhu's good. Cthulhu's two for two. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> What's happening to this podcast? <laughs> the end. <laughs> were such a nice podcast before all the Cthulhu stuff started happening and then next thing you know tentacles everywhere all right so our number our next matchup is number three clank versus our number 14th tides of madness we just clearly can't get rid of these tentacles i don't know what's going on here (laughs) all right anthony what do you what do you what do you guys say for your cthulhu gods this time i'm i'm finally gonna go against them Um, i'm a i'm a clank guy tides of madness is it's a good game, and Tides of Time, yes. which is the first game, very good, very quick two-player drafting game. Yes, two-player drafting. And um, this one just throws a little bit theme on there with Cthulhu, and they do it well. Uh, but Clank, I mean, come on, Clank. It's <laughs> uh, I don't even know like thematically 
what you have here other than like the I guess the stress of trying to get out of that dungeon in t- in time or at least get above ground so you don't die below ground. Sure. It really does feel like you are pressing your luck and pushing your way down in that dungeon in a way that um, other deck builders just haven't really been able to do. Um, even other ones have similar mechanics. So I'm all about Clank. Yeah, I got to go along with that too, just because it really it utilizes my one of my favorite little mini games, uh, Deep Sea Adventure, where you're going mm. down, you're picking up treasure, and as you pick up treasure, things become a lot more dangerous. And part of the game is trying to outrace the other adventurers and keep them down below so once I, when i started playing clank i'm like i know this game oh i know this game <laughs> <laughs> and i was able to pull out a win because oh i know this game because i've been diving deep for treasure for quite some time at this point so uh yeah clank is a very interesting game you see the deck building and that kind of press your luck element to it is uh very dynamic and they're having an upcoming expansion so uh looks like Clank is moving on to our next round, unless the listeners have anything else to say about that. Nope, they agree. All right, good for you. Good for all of us. All right, our next matchup is number four, Conan, versus number 13. Welcome back to the dungeon. So, Anthony, how are you, you feeling about this one here? No Cthulhu here, so you might be a little bit unsettled <laughs> here. Oh, man. I mean, I feel like a few weeks ago I might have gone with Welcome Back to the Dungeon. I really like this as a... Is a cute little card game, but I mean, thematically, it could have been anything. Um, Very much. So. Conan, Conan, though, having just played this recently, we actually played it together. This is a very well-made game. So, it, <laughs> yeah. I, and it definitely captures that theme spot on. You know, all the good and the bad of it. Uh, so, yeah, I'm gonna have to roll with Conan on this one. Yeah, Conan is a really surprising kind of miniatures tactical battle game thematic playing through these different, you know, engagements. And it's just really kind of fun, especially where the dungeon master actually gets a very similar kind of setup to the players. Um, Outstanding tides of madness. It's good to have if you're a Cthulhu fan and tides of time is really just not doing it for you, but Conan really deserves to be there and to see, you know, it's enemies crying. I don't know if Cthulhu necessarily cries and wails, but, you know, maybe Conan could find a way. I mean, he does really well with serpents. So um, it looks like Conan's moving on to the next round. Uh, what do our listeners say about that? They very much agree. All right. Sounds very, very good. All right. So our next matchup is number five, Mystic Vale versus our number 12, A Game of Thrones, Hand of the King. Oh, okay. So at first glance, this looks pretty easy. Yes. It's actually not. <laughs> this is kind second. of... <laughs> he says very easy here. Uh, I don't know. I mean, Mystic Veil, does it even have much of a theme? Like, what is the theme? Well, they're druids regrowing the land and keeping away spoilage? Stuff? Things? I don't know. It just... Not every I, game I think has gonna... to have Cthulhu, okay? Seriously. Yeah. Uh... <laughs> but then a Game of Thrones. Okay, here's the thing about the Game of Thrones Hand of the King. Yeah. It looks like it's going to be bad. Yes. And all those other small box games of Game of Thrones look like they're going to be bad. But it has very unique artwork, which I like. Some people don't, but I do. Okay. And it's actually not bad. And thematically, the kind of the, the extra cards you can get, the, the allies in the game the text and then what they do is very thematic. It does feel very Game of Thrones-y and you're kind of building your houses. I mean, it's kind of an abstract, so Uh in that sense. But I don't know. Which way are you leaning? It's hard. I think I agree with you there. 
Mystic Veil does have a theme for me. I do like seeing something different than the traditional battling and druids kind of regrowing and working with nature. I think is fantastic. The card crafting mechanic is outstanding, although I am still a little bit bugged by the fact that the sleeves themselves and all the plastic kind of scratches up almost initially. The Game of Thrones, the, the Hand of the King game, I was willing to kind of throw that directly into the fire until I actually got a chance to play it and really did enjoy it. As you said, it is abstract as far as you're picking cards in order to you know, create sets in order to win uh, bonus points, but there is some theme there. They have these little special abilities that come into play that target certain cards on the table. So if you know Game of Thrones and you know which allies and enemies there are, that kind of follows through. So, wow, I, I could see it going either way. Um, and Mystic Veil does miss out on some levels as far as not having enough synergy in its card play. Man, this is a tough one. I, I guess I could see an upset in this one, but I think that Mystic Veil is just going to take it based upon the fact that it is just so innovative that it, it deserves to stick around at least one more round. Well, I'm going to go with the Game of Thrones. Okay. I, I I definitely like this, and I feel like it deserves a mention, if nothing else, because I feel like gamer gamers are going to ignore it because of the pedigree of those small box games from Fantasy Flight. Sure. And they're missing out. No, I, I love the game. I think it's a great game. I played it and definitely will pick it up at some point. But what now, since we got another tiebreaker here, and since it's not the land of Game of Thrones and we're not going to lose one of our heads here, what did the uh, listeners have to say about this one? Well, the listeners... The brilliant listeners. Like Mystic... The brilliant listeners agree with you. Yes. And they like Mystic Vale. So... Nice. Uh, I kind of had a, a feeling of that, okay. but... I did like Mystic Veil as well, actually. I, I did enjoy it, and I look forward to trying it with the expansion and very much look forward to that that system in future games. Yeah, just kind of a spoiler alert on future podcasts. When we do, a, once again, we talk about expansions and must-have expansions, the Mystic Veil expansion is going to be a must because I think Mystic Veil, the base game, just doesn't really have enough punch to it. But yeah, sounds like it's moving on to the next round. Our next matchup is our number six seed, Tyrant of the Underdark versus our number 11 seed one deck dungeon anthony what do you think okay uh <laughs> <laughs> all right i gotta represent for the solo side and one deck dungeon is a fantastic game and thematically it does feel like it's a roguelike it's a roguelike as a card game everything's done with one deck of cards gotta love the elegance if daniel was here he'd be on my side with this one just saying um <laughs> It's it's probably the game I've played the most from the solo side, at least, uh-huh. uh, so far in 2017. And uh, I know it released right at the end of the year in 2016, so I'm glad it squeaked in. But um, I like Tyrants of the Underdark. Adding the area control aspect to a deck builder and having the, the modular decks, if they ever release any expansions, yes. it's, it's pretty cool. But I'm, I'm a... I'm a one-deck dungeon guy, I think, on this one. Yeah, I'm going to kind of throw a little wrench into things, too, because Tyrants of the Underdark definitely deserves to be our number six seed, but one-deck dungeon really just does something very different and something interesting, and I've already seen Tyrants of the Underdark in a lot of other games, and if and when it does have expansions, it deserves to be there, but I'm going to say one-deck dungeon deserves to be in the next round, unless our listeners are, you know, raise a, a large Underdark army against us here. Well, they, they certainly disagree. Uh, okay. They voted for Tyrants of the Underdark, but we're in agreement, so it doesn't matter. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> we have the microphones. <laughs> um, yeah, no, they, the 
the listeners definitely voted for Tyrants of the Underdark on this one. Um, although it was a lot closer than I expected. I think One Deck Dungeon has definitely built up quite a following, not necessarily just on the solo side. So, uh, yeah, no, I'm surprised you agree with me, but I, I'm, I dig this one. Yes, absolutely. All right, our next matchup is our number seven, Harry Potter's Hogwarts Battle versus our number 10 seed, Aeon's End. Anthony, what magic do you have us for us here? Oof. Okay, two deck builders. And again, this was accidental, people. Look at me with the with the <laughs> the bracket building. I'm like a pro. So Harry Potter Hogwarts Battle is thematically speaking, you have all the characters, it's got all the stuff in it, but it's just it's all kind of tacked on there. I mean, it's not tacked on. Everything makes sense who who does what and why they do it, but when you mix all the cards together, it all kind of just happens in whatever order and you add new things based on the book you're in, but it's Harry Potter, you know. It's it's about as thematic as any deck builder where you have a bunch of stuff thrown in. Aeon's End is a wholly unique world created around this game with all these unique spellcasters, all these different abilities. Everything is so cool. The artwork is fun to look at. You have these enemies you go up against or these big epic things you have to go up against. Um, I think this is one of those sleepers coming out of 2016 that we'll still be talking about in a little bit. It's more expansions come out and more people get exposed to it. Um and it's, in my opinion, um, I got to fight about this with Jason, but I like it more than Sentinels of the Multiverse. Wow. So it's one that I'm going to keep around for a while. So I, I'm going to go with Aeon's End on this one. Okay. Well, I, I hear what you're saying there, especially when it's you're talking about a more gateway deck builder versus something that's more extensive. And obviously Sentinels of the Multiverse is an outstanding game. So if this takes anything from that, that would be great. I'm going to go with Harry Potter's Hogwarts Battle just because I love the idea that it's basically following the books. And as you play the game, you're gaining more spells and more abilities. And it's really just ramping up. So you can play this almost a little bit as far as like thematically as like a legacy as your just your characters, your heroes are getting stronger and stronger. Uh, it just does something for me that I haven't seen in any other game before. Ugh. <laughs> uh, and that off means I know what the listeners voted, and they also voted Our, for Harry Potter. Of course they did. They're brilliant. <laughs> oh, man. It's just because people haven't played Aeon's End yet. You guys got to play it. It's great. I don't know. I don't know about you. <laughs> <laughs> all right. All right. Fine. Fine. All right. So our next matchup is our number eight fabled fruit versus our number nine the others so good fruit versus you know deadly kind of fruit kind of sin kind of evil stuff again kind of thing right. <laughs> anthony what do, you, what do you think about that kind of like uh, the opposite to the spectrum here a little bit yeah like as, as good as some of those other matchups were this one is tough um <laughs> <laughs> i don't know man like fabled fruit is i don't know it's a very interesting game and it does a lot of interesting things and um the what do they call it the fable system yes uh his, his kind of twist on legacy it's it's interesting unlocking new stuff as you play the others is kind of eric lang's modern look at one versus many and it works really well you know it's kind of up there with conan in terms of games that came out recently that do that in the right way make sure. it interesting for the person running the one thematically the others has a whole lot of theme i don't really like it and I don't really want to own it for that because of that theme, but I can't deny that it's there. I don't know. This is a tough one. What do you think? Both games are a true accomplishment. Neither one kind of has just kind of rocked the industry. Both of them kind of landed and pretty solidly with their respective groups. 
So I honor that about both of them. So really, as you said, this one's got you know a couple of challenges here, and which one really does kind of step out or step above the other one? You know, the others as as far as the one versus many, Eric Lang. I mean, you can't you can't say anything about the man's genius. But I will say here, this is something that I've played in other versions many times before, whereas Fabled Fruit really is a very new and inventive type of game mechanic where you're going to start out with these kind of selections of different worker placement spots. They're going to give you actions and abilities. And then as the game goes on, you're going to be able to collect those cards. Those worker placement spots disappear and then new worker placement spots pop up, which kind of alter the gameplay. And you can play that over and over again. And I actually have, and I think this, you know, I think this could be, if it got the marketing, it could be a Splendor Killer in a lot of respects. Because despite the fact that it is light, it is enjoyable and engaging as you just keep seeing new and new spots pop up. So I'm going to go with Fabled Fruit. <sighs> I was hoping that I would figure it out while you were talking. <laughs> I feel like I need to die just for my own decision here because right, I just <laughs> I, haven't played, I haven't played Fabled Fruit enough to know, you know, kind of what the the middle and end uh, of that progression looks like. I have yeah. played the other. It's a lot of the same because you're basically playing the same <clears throat> game over and over. It's just different spots, so you know there there can be some exhaustion to it, but it's still an interesting and engaging game. Yeah. I mean, I think I'm going to go with the tiebreaker here being which game do I want to put on my shelf for thematic reasons? And with that, it's got to be Fabled Fruit. The Others is a great game. If it wasn't, I know people are listening to this like, oh, you prude. I'm like, I got kids, guys. I'm sorry. <laughs> I just I can't. I can't without the Others. Fabled Fruit it is. I yeah. agree. All right. Well, that's the last matchup for our fantasy theme. And all the winners move on to the next round. So now we're on to our sci-fi theme probably the best theme that i've been looking forward to in this competition so starting off with our first competition is our number one game terraforming mars versus our number 16 adrenaline so anthony how you feeling about this uh terraforming mars period done (laughs) i have tremendous tremendous reservations with terraforming mars as far as the components and you've heard me talk about that. Uh, Adrenaline's almost the opposite in the way as far as its production and some of its gameplay. But I can't deny how great Terraforming Mars is. So I'm going to go with Terraforming Mars as well. And uh, our listeners, Anthony? Oh, they totally agree. Okay. <laughs> I feel like Terraforming Mars, if if one day they could put together a deluxe version of this game once they can finally catch up on printing, there will be no arguments from people to just be like, yeah, this is one of the great Euros. Yeah, um, and I, I got to say... It's a shame. It is because it's my disappointment with the game is not the game itself. It's just the production is just so poor and it makes me so angry because it's such a good game. And that's really what drives me there. So every time I play it, I'm just like, yeah, (laughs) it's so ugly. And it's just, yeah, let's not let's not go there. But it moves on to the next round. So our next matchup is our number two seed Scythe versus our number 15 seed Dead of Winter Long Night. Wow, this is going to be a tough one here, Anthony. What do you think? Yeah, so, so tough. No, it's, uh, yeah, the opposite of Terraforming Mars' problem. One of the nicest productions uh, yes. we've seen in a long time. And by the way, this this bracket 
this particular chunk, the sci-fi chunk, is very, very strong. So lots and lots of good games in here, guys. Yeah, this is easily Scythe. I mean, I'm, I'm not even a huge Dead of Winter guy. The Long Night adds some interesting things. I have played it a couple times. It doesn't really do that much different. It's just a standalone with some different modules. Eh, Scythe all the way. Yes, yeah, so I'm going to go along with your vote here. Scythe is just really a phenomenon for the production to the artwork to just basically the gameplay is a lot more streamlined than we've ever seen before in a Stegmire game, and it's just it's outstanding. So I'm going to go with Scythe. And the listeners? Uh, absolutely agree with us. All right, well, sounds We're good. We're all on the same page. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> all right, so the next matchup, our number three seed is mechs versus minions versus our number 14 seed defenders of the last stand so either way we're talking about post-apocalyptic machinery and random monsters kind of attacking each other so there you go man (laughs) (laughs) oh man this okay so this is hard because i don't actually know very much about the mechs versus minions theme i mean that's my vote because this game is ridiculous production wise I know you know more about the theme, so I'm just going to let you talk about it. I know everything about that theme. League of Legends. You've got to play League of Legends. It's an outstanding game in so many different respects. For board gamers, it probably doesn't matter too much, as you said, because you're looking at a co-op that's really, truly engaging. The production, the artwork, the amount of great miniatures you get for the price is just outstanding. Defenders of the Last Stand is a wonderful game as far as taking defenders of the realm and kind of implementing into kind of a Mad Max type of theme. It streamlines some things. It loses some charm some for some other things. But as I said, mechs versus minions, whether you're a League of Legends fan or you are just looking for an outstanding programming game, it's mechs versus minions. And our listeners there? They love them some mechs and some minions. There you go. All right. <laughs> With all their inky wash. Yeah, it's <laughs> such a great game. It's a great game. All right, so our number four seed is Star Wars Rebellion versus our number 13 seed, Doom, the board game. So how are you feeling on your sci-fi theme? You like these two uh, kind of juggernauts slugging it out there? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think we argued about this last week, uh, about whether Star Wars is true sci-fi or not. I think for our purposes, of course it is. But I did find it interesting for the sake of this bracket that Star Wars went up against Doom, two of the more... um, fantastical sci-fi yeah. franchises out there. So that's cool. It worked out really well there. So Yeah, both from Fantasy Flight and both um, kind of implementations of the whole. At least for this battle is which one implemented the theme best. So if you're looking at Doom the board game, once again, this is another video game that kind of gone wild on the board. And if you're looking at Star Wars Rebellion, what you're looking at is the original trilogy playing out somewhat differently but using the same elements which is just amazing and obviously star wars rebellion was also a video game previously and for me star wars rebellion does it right if you are playing the rebels you're hiding your base while you're attacking the empire and if you're at the empire you're trying to squash out the last of the rebellion so many wonderful mechanics just interesting gameplay great production this is definitely something you have to pick up if you're a star wars fan doom has a very interesting background because it was one of the first games Fantasy Flight made with a license. It turned into Descent, and then Descent turned into Star Wars. <laughs> so, yes, absolutely. Doom is Star Wars, Imperial Assault, that is. And then they brought back Doom with kind of some adjustments, and it's actually very good, and it does represent the game very well. So I are think th- you saying th- that Doom is Star Wars' father? 
Oh my gosh. No, <laughs> what is grandfather? That's I not possible. <laughs> <laughs> um, for me, how I break this down is which of those two, because they both do it very well in terms of taking the theme and turning it into a board game, which of them do I want to have ter- been turned into a board game in the first place? Sure. I don't, I'd rather play Doom like uh, as a video game than to play it as a board game. Star Wars, this is the dream, man. This is what I've wanted since I was six years old. So it's got to be Star Wars Rebellion. Okay. And our listeners? They also love them some Star Wars. All right. So Star Wars Rebellion moves on to the next round. And our next competition is our number five seed, Cry Havoc, versus our number 12 seed, Islebound. Anthony, what do you got? All right. So this is actually one of the trickier ones for me. Um, Cry Havoc is very interesting because it is... On one hand, it has a lot of sci-fi tropes. You look at these races and you think there's a lot of StarCraft in here. There's a lot of Ender's Game in here. On the other hand, you have a lot of very interesting, unique things about it. And it kind of builds the world nicely. Islebound is clearly right out of Ryan Lockett's head Mm -hmm. onto the page, onto the board. That's what he does. His worlds are all his own. And you can see it in the artwork, you can see it in the gameplay, you can see it in the way that everything flows. And if I liked Islebound as much as I like some of his other games, I think I would probably lean that way. Um, If if we were talking about, you know, Above and Below, or if we were talking about City of Iron, might lean in that direction just because of the way he's able to evoke the world. But in terms of a game, I wasn't totally captured by that. Whereas Cry Havoc... While I have some issues with it, and it can be a beast to teach, and the asymmetry only works if everybody really knows what they're doing with their race, um, it just you f- it feels like sci-fi. You're out there, you're you know, you're colonizing a world for whatever reason you have to be there <laughs> of the four different races, and I like that. So I'm going to go cry havoc. All right, so I'm going to go the opposite way. I'm going to go with Islebound here. I really love the world that Ryan Lockett has built up here. The artwork is so engaging. And for me, Cry Havoc, while it does implement a lot of interesting themes, I've kind of seen it before. Whereas Islebound, as you said, is kind of kind of sprung new and it really offers something very, very different. And I really do enjoy that game. So we got a little kind of, uh, uh, you know, static here. What, what did the uh, listeners say? This was a very, very close vote in that first round. So out of the 180 entries that we had, give or take, uh, as of us recording this, there was a difference of five wow. between these two. So it was just a lot closer than I thought because Cry Havoc was very hot earlier in the year. And Islebound, while hot, it's, you know, it's like all of his games kind of under the radar. But the winner eking it out uh, over the other is Cry Havoc. Wow. With a whopping, very small margin of victory. <laughs> so, yeah, so I guess everybody else is kind of in the same boat. Like, both games are good. Both are strong themes. Uh, Islebound, you know, it's Lockett. So you always got to give him credit for that. All right. So our next matchup is our number six seed, Star Wars Destiny, versus our number 11 seed, Colony. The Clash of the Dice, Anthony. How did that work out, huh? I got skills. <laughs> You're all about the Some... brackets, man. You're all about the brackets. Somebody asked if like we'd uh, manually seeded these like like other tournaments, sure. and I was like, "Now nah, we use BGG. <laughs> like this is just anything you see here is just random luck, guys." There you go. Search your BB. Search your BGG. You know it's true. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. Um. So for me, uh, I mean, I've kind of gone all in on Star Wars Destiny at this point, and 
I think it's a great game. It's a lot of fun. It's the, the most fun I've had with a CCG in over a decade, and it's possibly because I've you know left most of those behind. But it's really good uh, as a game. The yeah, and we wanted to talk to you about that. See, this is actually not a bracket competition. This is an <laughs> intervention. Myself and all the listeners are really worried about your uh, CCG habit here with the dice. So uh, we all like to go around and you know talk about the characters that we'd also like to have if you didn't buy them all at once, you know, because we want some too. Anyway, <laughs> oh man, well, too bad. I'm going to keep playing. The <laughs> you got a problem, so gonna... man. You got a problem. <laughs> Thematically, I mean, it's Star Wars and it's dice and there's cards and it's characters from all parts of all three trilogies now. So I'm not sure it really does much thematically. I mean, each card can be thematic and the way it kind of executes, but it doesn't really tie together super well. I mean, it's a CCG. Sure. How thematic can any CCG be? Um, Colony, I was very excited about, but it ended up being, I don't know, just kind of a generic dice placement and manipulation game uh i like the world i like how it kind of um it, it's different it, i mean it feels post-apocalyptic but it's got a very unique feel to it i know this is based on a japanese game of similar uh, mechanics and they kind of pulled some of that in and augmented it and i really wanted it to be better than it is but it's as a game it ended up being kind of forgettable so i'm gonna lean towards star wars because it's star wars and anytime i'm not sure Go with Star Wars. There you go. Well, for me, this is challenging here because when I saw Star Wars Destiny, I was kind of lining up the hate guns against it because I was like, well, look, you know, we already have so many dice games out there. We, we've we had the Quarriers, and then obviously we had the Marvel Dice Masters and everything else that kind of spawned from that. So isn't this just more of the same? And then on the opposite side, when I looked at Colony – I was kind of been interested here because I already have Favor of the Pharaoh, which another dice rolling game by Bezier Games, and I'm like, all right, another dice game, but I really like the theme here. So I was pulling out the love guns here. I was like, all right, this is going to be great. I can't wait to play this. And actually, the opposite happened. I was really taken by Star Wars Destiny. I really felt that it was pretty thematic, you know, being able to have a Jedi and attach a lightsaber to them, or to have certain characters kind of give you the special abilities that really fit the character from the game whereas colony while it was pretty rich in while it was pretty rich in theme it didn't seem to follow through in the actual gameplay and it was a little bit of a letdown there so i'm going to go with star wars destiny just because it accomplishes the mission that it set out to do so with star wars destinies move on to the next round and i'm sure that our listeners agree with that correct you know, I thought they would. Okay. Uh, it's Star Wars, and then Star Wars beats everything. Uh, but no, <laughs> no, they voted for Colony. Wow. So. All right, so our next matchup here is our number seven seed, Star Trek Ascendancy, versus our number ten seed, Crisis. Anthony, we don't have any Cthulhu here. We don't have any Star Wars here. Now we're on to the Treks. What are you feeling here? <laughs> All right, so Star Trek Ascendancy is... I. It feel it kind of it's hard to describe it in terms of theme, uh, but I guess the Star closest Trek? comparison be <laughs> the closest comparison in terms of like execution is Star Wars Rebellion. It manages to take what makes Star Trek Star Trek and turn it into a board game. Mm-hmm. I have several issues with it. Uh, three player only is rough. Uh, the length is rough. Uh, the first five to ten rounds of it are kind of rough, <laughs> but 
Uh, once you get into the game and are playing it, it really does feel like that. Each of the races is very unique and it's a lot of fun. Crisis is this very unique uh, Ludo Creations game that you are in the far future and the economy has crashed and you're trying to generate these resources and run these different factories and build these different things, but you don't want to increase the, you don't want to fix the economy too much because of various things that will go wrong if, you know, you throw off the economy. It has an interesting theme for a, just a straight worker placement Euro. Almost nobody's going to play this because they made a set number for the Kickstarter and then it's kind of, kind of go away, but it's a very good game and I very much enjoyed it. Um, and it does have a solo variant as well. Um, despite the ridiculously oversized tarot cards they used for everything for no reason, but I'm going to lean towards Star Trek because I have, at least for me, have yet to play a Star Trek game that really captures it as well as this one does. I just wish they'd get those other factions out so that I could pick this up because I won't do it until they do. It's not, I'm not playing with just the three. Yeah, and I think this does come down to company. And I think Ascendancy, they've still been talking about the expansions. They're supposed to be released. They've recently talked about a Borg expansion that's going to be coming out that's going to be one versus many. And actually, players can be taken over by the Borg, and then they would control the Borg. So, um, whereas you said with Crisis, that was kind of a really limited, you know, print run, and just really didn't land as as hard as it it should have been. So, I'm going to go with Star Trek Ascendancy on that too. All right. As a as a bit of a shocker, our listeners they voted for Crisis, and here's the thing on this: I'm not sure if everybody out there, maybe all of our listeners, back this, and they have copies, which is very possible. Well, um, it is a very good game. They can play with us. I'd be happy to play it again. Yeah, yeah. But they are voting. Maybe they're voting against Star Trek. I'm not sure. Okay. Well, speaking about being against Star Trek, let's see what they do here because our number eight seed is Star Trek Frontiers versus our number nine seed, Star Trek Panic. Another accident. (laughs) Um, All right. So these are two double accident, actually. It's got two Star Trek games, both of which are rethemes of other games. Okay. What do you know? Uh, Star Trek Frontiers, a retheme of Mage Knight, and Star Trek Panic, a retheme of Castle Panic. So the lighter one or the heavier one? Which one's better? I have played both. I like both. I'm a huge, huge Mage Knight fan as a solo gamer. I was not as bothered with Star Trek Frontiers and some of what it changed. And we just had an interview a couple weeks ago with Andrew Parks, and he outlined some of the difficulty augmentations they're making for Frontiers in an upcoming expansion that have me very excited, and I think it's going to further improve the game. As the as a heavy solo gamer, I'm going to lean that way. I'm you know, Frontiers all the way. Sure, and and when the expansion comes out, I will jump on with you. But right now, Mage Knight just does it better for me and as far as looking at a better implementation star trek panic does it better you know does castle panic a lot better and i've seen this game everywhere so i'm gonna go with star trek panic it does have a really cool little cardboard it does so it looks like we got need some help out here in the star trek universe what are our listeners saying our listeners are apparently heavy gamers oh. they voted for frontiers All right, sounds fine. So our Star Trek Frontiers moves on to the next round. All right, so now we're on to our economic theme bracket. So first up is Great Western Trail versus our number 16 seed, Power Grid, the card game. Okay, 
This one's easy. Okay. <laughs> like any of these I, are actually easy, but okay. Yeah, I know, I know. Every now and then, in my head, I uh-huh. have I have no qualms. I really wanted to like Power Grid the card game, uh, especially a Power Grid fan. I, I love Power Grid; it's one of my favorite games. And coming off of Castles of Burgundy card game, where I was actually very surprised and happy about how it turned out, I was a little disappointed here. It wasn't what it could have been. I don't know what it should have been, but it wasn't. It wasn't that in, enticing. Great Western Trail, on the other hand, is another um, fistier game that just pulls in six hundred different mechanics puts them in the stew and manages to make them flow on an interesting path. It has a couple of issues, but the the overall flow of the game, the quality of the game, the engagement of the game, those are not among them. So I'm going to, I'm going to go with that. Yeah. I, I was expecting, hoping, praying that the power grid, the card game would just kind of be at the same level for me personally as castles of Burgundy, the card game. It didn't reach that. Whereas great Western trail has a bit of a clunky feature with its builder that still bugs me, but it is honestly a better game than, and I'm going to give it to Great Western Trail. All right, and our listeners agree on that one, so we are unanimous. Nice. Okay, we're doing good here. All right, so our next matchup is our number two seed, Quadropolis, versus our number 15 seed, 1844-54. Anthony, take it away. Okay, so we have... Probably the lightest game in this bracket versus one of the heaviest. What do you think it's going to go, guys? (laughs) (laughs) Can't imagine where it's going to go there. So throwing an 18xx game in here, kind of had to. This is the big one that came out last year uh, from one of the the grandfathers of train games in general uh, in the current space, um, Helmet Ole. Uh, versus Quadropolis, the Big Days of Wonder released last year, which I love. I think Quadropolis is awesome. I wish more people wanted to play it. And that is why I'm going to vote for it. It's just a fun little city builder game. It's super simple. It takes two minutes to teach. There are two versions of it to play. The simpler version, I think, is actually the better version. It's definitely worth tracking down. I, I wish more people would pick this up, play it. I don't know. I guess maybe people are picking it up. It's Days of Wonder. It's got to be out there. It's a on the lighter end of city building when people don't want to play suburbia or something like that. This is the one I would pull out. Okay. Yeah. I think clearly the Asmo day pricing has kind of gotten to this game a little bit because it really hasn't gotten to the table as much as it should have. I mean, there's not much more you can say about it than what's already been said. It's a little bit on the lighter side. There's an expansion that's coming out that really should kind of pump it up a little bit. Yeah. I, I guess it's got to be quadropolis. No reason really why it shouldn't be 1844. Slash 54 is an outstanding game there, but uh, I think just what's going to hit your table more is really the kind of tiebreaker for me personally. Yeah, it's always hard to argue theme in an 18xx game. They're all train games. They all do it well, but yeah. there's a lot of them. There's so. a lot of them. There's a lot of good ones out there too. So this is a nice addition to the kind of family there, but Quadropolis just gives us something different that I think we haven't seen before. All right. And the listeners agree. So our next matchup is our number three seed, Vinios, second edition, versus our number 14 seed, Solaris Mission. So, Anthony, what are you feeling here as far as the uh, games are concerned? So with Solaris Mission, looking at the box, looking at the components, looking at how it's set up, you would think it's this very thematic Euro. Anthony, uh, it to be a very thematic Euro. It does, right? Yes. It's not. It's not at all. It's very abstract. <laughs> the theme is completely pasted on. And okay. it's, it's it's a fun enough game. It's, it's a lot about building up 
dice and you don't actually you don't roll the dice very often but you're building up the these different abilities and then moving up in certain areas so you move around you pick up different resources you put them into various things you basically invest them and you move up on various tracks to try to build up your multipliers as part of that you're moving a little ship around this modular map that looks like it should be a 4x game none of that's the case it's very much an economic euro that's fine it's a good economic euro i enjoyed it but i was definitely disappointed with how disconnected from the theme it was it could have been anything it could have been boats in the mediterranean it could have been you know it could have been anything that kind of has that economic feel vinos this is one of the the great heavy euros of the last few years you feel like somebody running a vineyard there's so many little bits and pieces you have to keep track of and the second edition with the 2016 vintage streamlines the game just enough that you can actually get other people to play it um, because you don't you're not going to burn their brains out and so I think that alone gives it the nod here. I don't know that I will play that original vintage much unless I have, you know, a group of super heavy gamers over who know it already. If I introduce this to people, I'll probably introduce with the second edition. Yes. Uh, same thing. I mean, Vino's second edition really does streamline some things and kind of gets it to the table a lot more. And I think that's really what we need to see here. Solaris Mission, as you said, as far as it's an abstract game with some pasted on theme where you can just kind of smell the pace a little bit. But Venus really does improve so dramatically that I think that we'll actually see this game going forward at the table a lot more. And what about our listeners? What are they going to see in the table going forward? They would like to see Venus, second edition. There you go. All right. So our next competition is our number four seed, Manhattan Project M- Energy Empire, versus, strangely enough, our number 13 seed, Tramways. Okay. All right. (laughs) Tramways. What is that? Well, I I said the same thing until very recently. It is in the small city of games. It is designed by Albin Viard. And it was nominated for the, uh, I never say it right, but the Golden Goblin, um, the Italian game of the year. So that's how it got onto my radar. Um, You are basically building a network in small city uh, over the course of six rounds and you'll be doing that through a variety of different things. So I'm not going to get to how it play. I'll go through it more later. It's got all sorts of stuff, auction bidding, deck pool building, hand management, pick up and deliver, tons of stuff. But in the end, it's a root network building game. You look at it, it's got that visual feast for the eyes that you got out of Food Chain Magnet. Um, <laughs> it looks like stuff pasted on the whiteboards. <laughs> but keep in mind that Food Chain Magnet won this bracket last year. So that's not necessarily a bad thing. It is. It does feel like this very unique, fun kind of city building component. It feels like a city building game, but kind of microcosmed out. I like that a lot. Having just discovered this, um, I wish I'd played it more, honestly. Sure. Flip side, you have Manhattan Project Energy Empire, which is really has nothing to do with Manhattan Project except the theme that they ended up adding to it because it's a completely separate game from a different designer. But it is a whole lot of fun. You are building a tableau and an engine to kind of produce the resources and do the things you need to do to kind of move your way up the track and, you know, ultimately build um, victory points all while kind of combating the effects of pollution from the actions you take. Rather than building a bomb, you're trying to, well, not necessarily save the planet, but keep it from turning into fully covered in smog. This game is a lot of fun. So I don't, thematically, I have a hard time. I feel like both of them kind of fall in the same boat for me. Um, But in terms of games I've played more and would happily pull out and play again right now, uh, probably Manhattan Project for me. 
Yeah, I think same thing here. Tramways definitely deserves a place at the table. And with the right group, that's really going to do well, especially with your heavy gamers. And I'd really like to find a dedicated group for this because I think it's deserving. Manhattan Project just plays with, I, I guess, a larger variety of people. And it's actually very, very fun and engaging. It takes away that bomb element that was kind of keeping some people away, brings some new Euro gamers to the table. And... It has some really interesting decisions to make, and there's a little dice roll in the game, which is not a bad thing here. So I'm going to go at Manhattan Project Energy Empire. But what did our listeners say? All right. Well, I think they probably are with me and had not heard of Tramways until they saw it on our list. So they also <laughs> chose Manhattan Project. Well, there you go. They should check out Tramways nonetheless. But all right. So Manhattan Project Energy Empire moves on to the next round, and our next competition is our number five seed, The Networks versus our number 12 seed Manhattan Project Chain Reaction. Okay, so Manhattan Project Chain Reaction is the single deck box uh, distillation of Manhattan Project, yep. uh, whereas the networks is you're running a TV network, uh-huh. and it feels like you are running a TV network. You are starting with a really crappy show, upgrading your shows, <laughs> upgrading your actors, uh all these shows kind of decline over time and they all have different peaks and valleys and you're building uh, different sets of them. Uh, the networks from a thematic standpoint, as well as a game that I enjoyed standpoint takes it on both fronts. So I'm going to go with the networks. Yeah. This is another game that I was thinking that just might be a little light uh, as far as the theme's concerned, but it just hits just enough of the right notes to make it engaging. So the networks really does something interesting where Manhattan Project Chain Reaction, in the rule book itself, it kind of warns that you know someone can win pretty easily if they kind of run into this particular strategy in hand of cards. So I think that while I want Manhattan Project Chain Reaction to be the game that moves on here, it's a little, just a little too quick. It's a little too broken, not majorly, but just a little too problematic. So I'm going to go ahead with the networks just because it's a more complete game. But uh, I'm thinking our listeners might be feel somewhat differently, or maybe what do you think? They they went with the networks as well. Okay, so right. we are cruising through this bracket with unanimous support. Sounds good. All right, so our number six seed here for this competition is Via Nebula versus our number eleven seed Guilds of London. Anthony, what are you, what are you feeling about this one? A lot of traveling going on in both these games. Yeah, no kidding. Via Nebula, it's an interesting theme tacked onto a familiar Martin Wallace uh, skeleton. Uh, Guilds of London is also a very interesting theme with a lot of unique uh, components to it. The major issue with Guilds of London is that it's very, very hard to teach and very, very hard to kind of pick up and understand fully. Once you do, it's not that complicated of a game. There's just the iconography and all the different options are are pretty immense. Between the two, though, the one that I've probably enjoyed the most and the one that I feel kind of reflects the theme the best for what it's trying to do and that I pull out, you know, if I asked, is probably Guilds of London. Both games are great. Both games kind of bring something new to the table, as you said, with Via Nebula, with Martin Wallace's kind of skeleton here. But it's a very, very pretty skeleton. And if you are a little kind of apprehensive of getting into Martin Wallace games, Via Nebula is really the way to go. The artwork, the productions, design, the special player abilities. This is really a game for more than just Martin Wallace fans. This is a game for all of us. Unfortunately, the pricing for this game has been radically off, and it really hasn't gotten to the table. 
but I enjoy this game a great deal, and I'm going to go with Via Nebula. But... We lost the unanimity. Oh, no. It's, it's all falling apart, man. Game over, man. Game over. <laughs> oh, rest in peace. I know. So what did our, right. what our listeners say here? Our listeners. So uh, this was another close vote. Um, not nearly as close as the last one that was close, but within about 20 or 30. Okay. And they uh, went for the prettier game, I think, with Via Nebula. I would say the better game, but if you want to say prettier, then, you know, <laughs> whatever helps you sleep at night. Me and Martin are cool, you know. All right. Hey, at so... least they gave you the artwork. I give you the artwork. Okay. All right. All right. Okay, so our next matchup is our number seven seed, First Class, versus our number 10 seed, Fields of Green. So, Anthony, what are you feeling about these kind of tableau games? Okay. Uh, Fields of Green is a reimagining of Among the Stars, which is a cooler theme, but the game is not as good. Um, Which, I like Fields of Green, but it still frustrates me that they added all the cool stuff in the farming version over the sci-fi version (laughs) um uh first class is the newest mid-level non-18xx train game from helmet Oli, which i've been waiting for since russian railroad so i'm super happy he made one takes about an hour it's basically russian railroads the card game and you are building out three different trains and kind of going over these different tracks and building up your conductors so I think it's pretty clear which one I'm going to go with here, uh, since Russian Railroads is one of my favorite games. Sure. Uh, it's got to be first class. That's It's fantastic, tons of fun. And it, I mean, it's as thematic as any train game, but it's it's a good one. You know what I think is really funny when you mentioned the re-implementation there? When you're looking at Fields of Green, you would think that that would be later than updated to space stations. And yet, actually... <laughs> The reimagining here is actually downgraded, I guess, historically down to, you know, literally farming. So really funny here. And it's good to see, though. I, I hope that some point it, it goes back to the future and <laughs> takes those themes <laughs> up to another place. Uh, First Class is a game that's hit the table multiple times. A lot of fun. Quick playing game. Multiple modules. Really good for everybody. And I'm going to go with First Class. Yeah, and the listeners agree on that. And I forgot about the modules, which is super cool. And more games should do that because you can even tell there's going to be more stuff coming, which makes me excited. All right. Well, that sounds awesome. So that's moving on to the next round. And now we're on to a really interesting battle. Our number eight seed, The Colonists, versus our number nine seed, Railroad Revolution. So, Anthony, are you in for a long haul or just a short train (laughs) ride here? Man, this one's hard. Uh, so you have The Colonists, which yeah. is from a first-time designer and takes about 37 hours to play. <laughs> and then okay, you have Railroad Revolution, which is the newest game from What's Your Game? And they have a lot of great stuff the last few years. Uh, and it's their take on railroad games. And it's relatively pretty versus, you know, some other stuff. The Colonist looks great. And it, as a solo game... I am definitely interested in playing it. It has a lot of stuff that doesn't turn me off. Actually, if anything, it excites me. Lots of bits all over the place. Um, Railroad Revolution, on the other hand, is more of the kind of mid-weight train game. I don't know. It's that Russian Railroad first-class level of uh, rail building that I really enjoy and that you, you get, but you don't get quite as often as you get the lighter stuff or the 18xx stuff. So... I'm going to flip a mental coin and roll towards, or I guess uh, roll on the tracks towards Railroad Revolution here. Okay. Well, 
I, I think you said it all, and I think you said it well, and I think it's completely justified. But the allure, even though it is a 37-hour game, and we're, you know, maybe not 37 hours, probably 36 and a half or 35 and a half, who knows. But I'm going to go with the colonists. I, I think it's it's ambitiousness here as far as what's looking to put together is – you know, followed through really well, and it's just it's something to behold. It's not a mega civilization game, but it it's it's a solid long term Euro game, and I I, I want to sit down and play thirty seven hours with this. I do too. <laughs> <laughs> if only you had thirty seven hours. <laughs> I know that's the problem. All right, so we have another split vote here, and the listeners are going to roll with you on this one. Yes, with the colonists. Nice job, everybody. Nice job. Woohoo! Let's hear it for the 37 hour game. Woo! Go Team Giant Euro! Now we're tired. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so up to our last bracket. This is historical societal theme. And we're looking at the first competition here. It's our number one seed, A Feast for Odin, versus our number 16 seed, Days of Ire Budapest 1956. All right, Anthony, let's go back in time and tell me what you're thinking there. This seat annoys me because <laughs> I really, really like Days of Ire, um, Budapest 1956. It's a fantastic look at a specific moment in history, and the game plays it out in a way that very few games manage to do. I can think of games like Twilight Struggle that manage to make you feel like you're living through those times. Um, but I really, really, really like A Feast for Odin. Uh, so I have, as a game, and, you know, thematically... I know we're supposed to be talking about theme here, but it would be tough to pick a game 100% on theme over a game that is 100% on gameplay for me. So I'm going to go towards the Feast for Odin, but let it be said that Days of Ire is a, is a very good game, and thematically it really hits it quite well. Well, Days of Ire is not completely out yet because that's going to be my vote because, as you said, if we're looking at theme here, I find the puzzle placement action selection thing really really super light on theme it just it just doesn't get me there fully so uh, i'm gonna cast my side with budapest 1956 here but our listeners will have the last say here anthony so what are they saying well let me just say thank you for your vote there you uh, go as it's is a game that i like a lot mm-hmm. um but unfortunately the listeners are very much in the in the camp of a feast for odin they're in the uh, odin camp i see that yeah. all right yeah they like those vikings man <laughs> i tell you all right, so A Feast for Odin moves on to the next round. So our next matchup is our number two seed, Captain Sonar, versus our number 15 seed, Lotus. So, yeah. <laughs> this is quite the odd pairing here. Yeah, we got a couple of oddballs in this bracket. I think it's because it's kind of our catch-all at the end here. Sure. Uh, Captain Sonar is such a unique and thematically captivating game. That even though it's up against Lotus, which is very pretty and very different in this field, uh, there's not a lot of games about flowers, period. So thematically, it's it's a, it's a unique one. It's one that I have because I feel like there's a huge gap in the collection for games like that. Uh, but Captain Sonar, man, that's you feel like you're on a sub. It is stressful. It is <laughs> like you feel all the tension and playing those roles really works. So I'm going to have to go with Captain Sonar. Yeah, it's 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 a hard I don't know. Any other day, Lotus kind of would win the competition here. Just a beautiful game. Really does so many things right. But Captain Sonar is just such a phenomenal experience. You really do feel like 
you are manning a station, you're all working together. It's very tense. It's very engaging. So got to go Captain Sonar here. Any chance our listeners go a different direction here? No, they are 100% on board with us on this one. All right, so good. I listened uh, as a good radio person here and was able to locate them. Nice. There you go. All right. So our next competition is our number three seed, Pandemic Iberia, versus our number 14 seed, Hamaka Koji. All right, Anthony, you say that three times fast. It's our hard <laughs> name competition battle up. I'm... There's a lot of languages in this bracket. Yes. It's, it's, it's... <laughs> Just looking through here, I'm like, all right, I've got Norwegian, German, Egyptian. There you go. <laughs> you want historical. There we go. So this is, uh, I, I think, if it was Hanami Koji versus just Pandemic, I might lean towards Hanami Koji. It's a very simple two-player card game, sure. but the artwork is beautiful. It's, it just feels evocative of the theme. Uh, but Pandemic Iberia does something very interesting. It manages to make Pandemic a thematic game. What? <laughs> uh, by changing the map, changing the movement rules, adding things like water purification, changing the uh, the roles that people play to kind of match the period, naming each of the diseases based on the, the Iberian Peninsula in the 19th century. It's really good. And I really managed to kind of evoke pandemic while also putting it in a historical context. Um, it's still out there. You, you know, it's there supposedly only printing it once so get it while you can because it is a it's a good one i'm gonna go with that yeah if you listen to the podcast you know while i do appreciate the pandemic mechanics to the game i typically find the game a little too alpha gamey a little too thin on theme and just a little less engaging here but they've had the opportunity to kind of tighten that up and actually do something real something historical something truly engaging and kind of really grips you. And I think they did it here. So I'm going to go with Pandemic Iberia as well. Woo, we got a pandemic vote from Chris. I know. Don't let, don't let this get out. Just this one time, one time <laughs> alone, okay? <laughs> it's begrudging. I feel like if it was up against any of these other ones in the bracket, you would have come with something else. It's possible. But look, the mechanics are solid. I've, I've never said a bad word about the pandemic mechanics here. I just think that the rest of the game kind of falls through a bit. It's just kind of a math puzzle here that's – not really connected to theme, but here it does it well. So I'm going to give it props. All right. So Pandemic Iberia moves on to the next round, and we're looking at our next competition. So our number four seed, Emotep, versus our number 13 seed, Jorvik. Anthony, what are you feeling here? Well, uh, we know Jorvik's pasted on because it's literally another game that we've played with a new theme on it. <laughs> so, And it's interesting. It's fun to kind of see that same theme with the Vikings on there. But honestly, I prefer the original theme. So that's a tough one to vote for. Emotep, on the other hand, you are moving little boats with cubes on them and building pyramids, literal pyramids on the board. So it's got to be Emotep. Yeah, Emotep does a great job. The components are great. Uh, the fact that the boards kind of flip over so you can play somewhat of a different game where you can kind of mix and match a little bit is so impossibly strong. And it's it's good for a lot of gamers Jorvik, as Anthony said, you know, the re-implementation of Speakerstadt or the re-theming is probably a better way of saying it. The only thing I would say here is with Jorvik, since it comes with the expansion for Speakerstadt that nobody could find for less than a ransom, I'm going to go with Jorvik here. I, I, I think if you're looking for an auction game, I don't think there is a better auction game than Jorvik. Just the way you're able to bid here and, and kind of block other players out, I think is just fantastic and i think feld's work here just 
it continues on and it does a really good job and you can actually get this game and you should because I don't think Speaker's Thought was gotten out to anybody previously. So yeah, go with Jorvik here. That's true. I do have to agree with that. I'm glad it exists and I did pick it up for that very reason. So I cannot argue with anything you said. Yeah, I would agree with you. I'd rather have Speaker's Thought than Jorvik, but you're just never going to get that expansion. And I just think that people have not played this game because it was out of print for so long and the expansion was impossible so Jorvik does deserve its own kind of stake in the world here. Sure. But it's not up to us here. It's up to the listeners here. So what did they say, Anthony? Well, the listeners, uh, they voted for Emotep. All right. So Emotep moves on to the next round. So our next competition is our number five seed, Marinostrum Empires, versus our number 12 seed, Stronghold Second Edition. So which empire are you looking to build or defend here, Anthony? Hmm. I love this kind of a thematic matching here. This is a tough one. Stronghold Second Edition is, I mean, it's it manages to streamline a lot of things from the first one. It adds a lot of interesting things. It's a very nice production. Um, but Martin Nostrum, it's just, I, maybe I'm just spoiled having seen the possible scope of this game. When at Origins last year, we saw the giant map and all the extra bits and stuff. This, you know, stuff that you had to pay for through Kickstarter or, you know, $500 now or whatever it is. But just the epic scope of that and the fact that it's still a pretty accessible Euro, it's not ridiculously um, overblown. It just feels like you're, yeah, it just feels like you're out there kind of building your empire, uh, exploring, you know, in the, the Russian or Russian exploring in the, in, in the time of ancient Rome. So I'm going to go with Mario Nostrum. Yeah, I, you know, both these games had lives before their <laughs> incarnations here and both of them do an outstanding job. Mare Nostrum Empires does something which is surprising, which is it comes off the shelf. It, it, it still gets to the table. Um, it has the asymmetrical gameplay with the different races, but it never really feels unbalanced, despite the fact that it can play a large number of players. So, you know, it's going to get a lot of people to the table or a small number, but it still plays well. So I'm going to go with Mare Nostrum Empires here. Really impressed with that game. All right, All right, so it seems like Marinostrum Empires is moving on to the next round. Is it taking along our listeners with them? It's not, actually. I was a little surprised on this one. Uh, the okay. listeners voted for Stronghold. All right, Stronghold 2nd Edition. So our next competition here is going to be our number 6 seed, Evolution Climate, versus our number 11 seed, Flamme Rouge. Red Flame, go! <laughs> This is the this is the French, and then I just realized looking at the list that there's a little more French coming. So, <laughs> all right. So, this is a fun matchup because both of these do their themes really well. So I have to think about which game do I like better, which is tough. Um, Evolution, of course, is extremely evocative of its theme, so much so that it's been mentioned in scientific journals recently. <laughs> Flamme Rouge, however, is a very well-constructed bicycle racing game in which things like position in the pack and going uphill versus downhill and exhaustion are all factored in, even though you're really only playing at any given point two cards, one for each character. So that one manages to capture that feel of you know European cycling in a way that some other games have done it successfully, but either more heavy or a little lighter. So I really like that a lot. Evolution, however, it's evolution. I mean, it's just that game that really captures that feel of like what it what it means uh, scientifically. I think I'm going to lean towards Flamme Rouge here just because it's a unique game. It's not you know, 
Evolution Climate is building on an existing game with existing expansions. Plumbridge is new, but both are very good. Yeah, I would agree. Both are very good. This is kind of a hard choice here. My tiebreaker here is going to be which one really does kind of embody the theme. And as you said, because of the scientific journals and because there is a thoughtful creation that's going on here, which seems kind of odd when we're talking about evolution, but there is a creation uh, going on in this evolution that's brilliant. So I'm going to go to evolution climate. All right, we have a split. So the race is on, and Anthony, our, our uh, listeners are going to project the winner here, and, and who will be the winner? Uh, they're projecting uh, uh, Evolution. Okay. All right, so Evolution Climate moves on to the next round. So our next competition is our number seven seed, Castles of Burgundy, the card game, versus our number 10 seed, Liberty or Death. Okay, Anthony, how you feeling here? Positive, or are you feeling like you're going to do some building here? Hmm. <laughs> uh, yeah. So, Castles of Burgundy, the card game, is one of my favorite games from last year. Thematically speaking, it is a card game in which cards represent dice, and the dice represent actions. Kind of an abstract way to purchase certain cards that you then play. Theme-wise, it's it's a Feld, so theme doesn't play a lot of a role here. This could literally be anything. Liberty or Death, on the other hand, is a coin game about the birth of America, so it's extremely thematic. It also happens to be one of the best coin games, and while it is very hard to find, it is currently in print, so if you're listening to this now, you can go find it. It is about a theme that I you know, know enough about to enjoy in a different way. So I'm going to lean towards Liberty or Death, Uh I don't get to play a lot of these coin games just because I don't quite connect with the theme always. This is one I do, and it's such a good system. So, liberty or death for me. Yeah, I think it definitely deserves to be here in this bracket and be at this high up. Uh, for me, Castles of Burgundy card game here does something that's really surprising here. And when you're talking about building up ownership of this land and kind of developing a whole estate i i think that in some ways the card game does it even better than the board game here so i'm going to go with castles of burgundy the card game yeah but i mean i would say even if it was the board game here which is a top 20 game i yeah. still wouldn't vote for it it's just not very thematic i mean you're building an estate i guess but that could be anywhere in any time period on the moon like it could be <laughs> Well, my cows and sheep are going to be pretty upset about that, but you know, <laughs> but nonetheless, yes. <laughs> All right. Well, the listeners agree with you. Uh, Castles of Burgundy, the car game, is in fact moving on to round two. Okay. The cows stay on earth. Good to hear that. I'm, I'm sure they'll <laughs> appreciate that too. So our next competition has our number eight seed, the Oracle of Delphi versus our nine seed, World's Fair 1893. So are you feeling ancient or are you feeling more current there, Anthony? Hmm. Either way, it's going to be epic. So, <laughs> Oh, man, I feel like I'm um, I'm bagging on Stefan Feldel here a little bit. This is the third one in this bracket where I'm going to lean the other way, I think, just because, I don't know, like his games, it's not that they're not thematic, especially recently they've gotten a little bit better, but it's Stefan Phil. It's not really what he's known for. It's all about the mechanics and the interplay of those mechanics, which I love because it's always like a puzzle. Sure. Um, ironically, I feel like Oracle of Delphi gets closer to it than a lot of those other games do, but World's Fair 1893 really pulls on that theme really strongly. It, you know, From the way the board is built to the way the different things interact with each other, it's, it's, and it's such a unique theme. It's not something you've seen in other games. It's not, you know, you get another ancient 
Greek something. It's the World's Fair of 1893. Who thinks to make a game about that? So I'm going to lean towards that. I'm not saying that I'm not a Feld fan. The Oracle of Delphi, we just talked about previously at the table, and it's definitely a buy. World's Fair, I played quite a lot. Uh, got a chance to play that with the family. And as you said, it's a very interesting, engaging theme and something you don't typically see. It's very thematic as far as that's concerned. Uh, I, I, I think here, World's Fair probably does a little bit more than we saw in previous competitions as far as really nailing down the theme you're actually looking at inventors you're actually looking at things that happened around that time and how impressive and how engaging that was for the world at that point so i'm going to go with world's fair 1893 all right and uh the listeners agree on that so that one's moving forward unanimous support all right so that is the last competition in our four brackets and on our next episode, we will actually take us down to the Sweet 16, the Final Four, and then the final winner of the 2016 March Gamer Madness. Okay, so that's everything for this week. Please keep in contact with us on our social media networks. We want to hear from you. This bracket went great on Facebook, so please get on there and get a chance to get in contact with all the listeners all of the daily questions and all of the conversations that's going on about all the great games on Facebook, Twitter, BoardGamersAnonymous.com. Don't forget to rate us on iTunes and Stitcher. The more ratings that we get, the more board gamers we can bring into the industry. Don't forget we have a Patreon account in which you can back us so that we can bring you more and more content. And check out on our website, we have an Amazon affiliate link. So when you buy anything whatsoever it doesn't cost you an extra penny but it puts a couple pennies in our pocket so that we can bring more engaging content to you each and every week until next time this is chris and this is anthony and we hope that you will seed us a seat at the table